Hey there, welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this is the first week of Spoopy Month. Yes, and this is going to be a very, very interesting month. Yeah, see, we got four movies coming at you of the spooky variety. This week, Scott has introduced me to a horror classic. Yes, we went back in the way back machine. Yes, to 1968. Scotty, what did you show me today? I showed you the George A. Romero classic, Night of the Living Dead. They're coming to get you, Scotty. (laughs) That they are, that they are. They might have already gotten me. So this is a movie that I've always wanted to see but just never got around to it. I wasn't expecting to like this as much as I did simply because, first of all, I'm generally not a big horror movie person and this is an older movie so I feel like, especially with older horror movies, they're not very scary. Well, not only that, it also is Romero's first movie. So he's an inexperienced filmmaker in the horror genre in the 60s. Yes. A lot of this has a recipe to be not great. Yeah, I definitely got very ragtag vibes watching this movie. It felt like a bunch of friends getting together and just want to make a movie, which I actually like usually when it's that kind of vibe. I usually dig that. But yeah, doing more research, like you find out everything that went into making this movie and getting everything together, all the moving parts, many people were wearing multiple hats. For example, George Romero himself was the director and co-writer of this movie, but he was also the uncredited cinematographer and editor. So it's like everyone was doing different things. He also acted in it. There were other actors who did like smaller roles while they were also working in production behind the scenes. And the script was revised multiple times while they were filming just to kind of adapt to the limitations they had with the budget and whatnot. For this being like one of the first zombie movies there are, it is very well formed in the zombie idea, but yeah, it is very low budget. You can tell that immediately. Oh, yes. The budget was estimated to be $114,000. Yeah, and that basically shows because the only sets they have are a cemetery and a house. Yeah. The cool thing about this movie, even if you just take out the movie itself, the history and the notoriety of it is pretty legendary in itself. Like Scott was saying before, it it started many of the existing zombie film tropes, such as cannibalism and getting killed with a headshot. I didn't realize that none of that really existed before this movie. Obviously, since 1968, there have been several other of the dead movies. But yes, there's a lot of fun facts to be had here. This movie was rated the 13th scariest movie of all time. It has a crazy good 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was added to the National Film Registry in 1999. And with its $114,000 budget, it grossed approximately $30 million, making it one of the most successful indie films ever made. And George Romero hasn't seen the dime of a lot of that money. <laughs> That's kind of a bummer. <laughs> uh, yes, go. So if you don't know, this is a movie that is in 
the public domain, mainly because of a clerical error. Basically, yeah, I guess. So initially, the movie was called Night of the Flesh Eaters, and there are multiple stories of why they had to change the name at the last possible second. There was threats of a lawsuit from another movie called The Flesh Eaters. There was talks about a guy wouldn't put it on the marquee because Night of the Flesh Eaters wouldn't sell. But they made the new title card, Night of the Living Dead, and they didn't trademark the name. So that's why you will see this movie pop up in the background on the TV of a lot of random horror movies, including things like Thanksgiving. Of all the movies, that's what you bring up? Thanksgiving? Well... If this was movie was trademarked, that movie would not afford Night of the Living Dead playing in the background of it. Right. This is obviously a, a movie filled with behind-the-scenes intrigue as well as critical acclaim. And I just felt it necessary to mention it because I'm me. Uh, Night of the Living Dead also was made into a musical off-Broadway in 2019. I'm going to try and find it somewhere on the internet and if i find a good musical clip i will be sure to put it in here they're coming to get you barbara you're acting like a child evil ghouls content charmless we'd be fools to think they're harmless night of the living dead has inspired so much it really has everything you've ever seen about zombies as frankie said basically does come from here the slow moving, the shot in the head, the flesh eating, the being afraid of fire. And it's crazy to think how well formed the idea is in this movie. To the point where it hasn't changed in 60 years. So, Scott, with all that said, are we ready to get into the nitty gritty? Yeah, let's get into this nitty and the gritty. So we start on a normal day. Two siblings are going to visit their father's grave. And they're not really into this idea. <laughs> well, no. The brother is, like, over it, but the sister is just being a good little girl and going. So these two siblings are Barbara and Johnny. Johnny's a bit of a dick. Well, he is, but, like, no, he, I was going to say something redeeming. But he's he's just kind of like a, a mild dick. There are other dicks in this movie that are much more dickish. This is a mild level of dickishness. <laughs> He's just a big brother or little brother type of dick to his sister. Yeah, and they have a nice little kind of back and forth. But what I really want to comment here is the music. Oh my god, you know what's funny? I literally wrote notes about that too because I thought the fucking score was so great and I was trying to figure out who did it. And then I was like, oh, it's all stock music because they couldn't afford to get a composer. And I'm like, interesting. All music in a box. It is crazy though. You wouldn't know that if you didn't, like, know that. <laughs> it, right. Like, it, it it all sounds perfect with the movie. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, he basically had a friend that was working on the movie who also happens to be one of the stars in the movie. We'll get to him in a hot minute, but he had all this stock music, and he's like, here, take what you want. And I guess, I mean, that kind of shows ingenuity on Romero's part because he had a limited supply of shit to work with and he still managed to pick out things and put them in just the right spot to make it all work and still sound original. There's a reason he's one of the godfathers of like horror movies. Yeah. So they're going to the grave. Johnny's just like busting on Barbara, talking about 
how she's like such a goody two shoes and that she prays and praying should only be for church. And then there's this random guy just kind of walking through the cemetery and he jokes with Barbara with the famous line, they're coming to get you, Barbara. But this leads to, he comes and literally grabs Barbara by the throat, (laughs) leading to Johnny being like, oh shit, this is a real fucking problem here. And then Johnny gets into a fight with the zombie and then gets his head smashed into a tombstone. As you do. But then what ensues is like a fucking like 10 minute sequence, it seems like, of Barbara just not speaking at all, but just running and trying to escape and run away from this zombie. And this is where I really noticed the score in a big bad way, because this whole sequence is completely reliant on the score because Barbara, who's, by the way, played by Judith O'Day, she's not speaking at all. She's just running and looking generally scurred. But the the score, or should I say the stock music that Romero chose, really kind of elevates the whole sequence. Yeah, literally all that happens is Barbara runs away, Barbara crashes her car, starts to run again, and eventually runs into a house. That's literally the sequence. Literally, Barbara was like the character that annoyed me the most in this whole, well, kind of, sort of, yeah. No, I'd say Barbara annoyed me the most just because like they build her up in the beginning like she's going to be a main character, which implies that she's going to like do something. But she really does it. <laughs> and she's kind of dumb like she gets she runs back to the car right and she's she's sitting in the driver's seat of this car you know the big metal thing that goes vroom vroom and she decides not to drive the car but just sit in the driver's seat and scream as the zombie is slamming himself and throwing bricks into the fucking car i'm like what are you doing bitch drive the car and then she eventually does after like 5,000 years and then immediately crashes the car. And I'm like, okay, why? Well, in her defense, I think it gets said later, but it's such a throwaway line that you wouldn't really realize it because it's not really important. But she doesn't have the keys to the car. She just turns the brake off on the car. Johnny has the keys because Johnny drove. Oh, wait. So then how did she move the car? She just, he, he didn't he, stop he, the car? No, he, put, he just put the brake on. But the key's not in the car. But yeah, it just rolls down the hill. Oh, she's on a hill. See, that didn't translate for me. Okay. I get what you're saying. But it's such a throwaway line that you wouldn't like. I totally didn't pick up on that. Okay, my bad. But I still don't like Barbara. Well, <laughs> I still don't like her because for 97% of the movie, after this sequence, she's like in a catatonic state. At one point, I looked at Scott. I'm like, all right, she's going to have some kind of redeeming moment, right? And Scott was like, no, but she kind of does at the very, very, very end, right before, spoiler alert, she fucking dies. So it's like, what what did we really get with Barbara? Not much. Well, Barbara is kind of just like our introduction into what is about to come. Then fucking... uh, kill her then or something do something with her don't just let her sit on the couch and be catatonic and shit well would i have liked us to start with this other character that we're about to introduce yes i yes. would yes yeah you could have had it that she like died in his arms or something and then we transition to our second a real main character our real vip so barbara as she gets away from our main zombie 
gets into this house and runs into our other main lead, Ben. Yes, played by Dwayne Jones. And Ben is the shit. He really is. But first, let's talk about Dwayne Jones, okay? Now, this is the first time an African-American actor has starred in a horror film. And this is really one of the first major films to have a black man as the main star, period. And this was released at a time, again, 1968, where racial tensions were quite a thing. I mean, you know... Black Lives Matter is still a thing to this day. But at the time, this was right around MLK's assassination. Like, this is real shit. Also, what I found interesting about Dwayne Jones, after this movie, he did a couple movies after that, but he felt like he was kind of being typecasted, I guess, for lack of a better word, because the Ben character in this movie is so iconic. So he just kind of stepped away from the limelight and became a theater director. And he actually worked as the theater director at uh, SUNY Old Westbury. <laughs> oh, shit. Which I thought was hilarious. If, for those of you who don't know, SUNY is a, a New York State college. And the Old Westbury one is not that far from where we live. So Liter- I thought that was kind of fucking cool. Literally like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was fucking great in this. And what I also love about it is that according to my research in the script... Originally, there wasn't any call for any specific race. I believe Romero was quoted as saying he just gave the best audition and he got the role, which I think is awesome as well. But the fact that he is black and is surrounded by all white people and he takes a real leadership role in this film, I think that kind of adds an extra layer to what's going on that maybe they never intended. Oh, of course. I don't think Romero intended that at all. The most recent interviews with him, he didn't. People would always ask him if he knew what the implications of this would be. Right. And he always like, no, I didn't. I just casted and did a movie with an African-American lead. But he had to know. I mean, I'm sure he knew. I just don't think he... He probably didn't care. He probably didn't, but... He was just like, fuck it. I like this guy. I want him in my movie. (laughs) Which is, like, it's a cool fucking thing. Well, that's how it should be. And you know what? He did an amazing job. He's the standout of this movie. You see today when people take like traditionally white characters, for example, perfect example, I think the first thing is James Bond, right? Yeah. The whole big thing was like, oh, we're going to have a black James Bond or, oh, we're gonna have Idris Elba should be the next James Bond. Ba-da-da-da. And like that would be cool as fuck. But like there's also a question of like, is it just a gimmicky thing? Like, oh, we have a black James Bond. We're fucking woke as shit. This doesn't feel like a gimmick because... Literally, there's no reference to his race in the entire script in the movie at all. Like, no N-words are thrown. (laughs) No epithets are said. No one makes any reference to his race at all. No. Because I feel like if it was a gimmick that they wanted a black guy in this role, they would have had that racial tension in the movie. Oh, very easily. But that wasn't in it at all. So it just gives more credence to me that, like, it wasn't a thing. Especially with our... I don't want to call him our antagonist. I do. He's an antagonist and he sucks. We're going to get to him. The character's name is Harry Cooper. I I think easily if it was meant for Ben to be African-American, it would have been very easy for Harry to be racist. Oh, yeah, for the antagonist to be like a racist asshole. Yeah, sure. He's just a regular old asshole. (laughs) That is very true. He is. Ben gets into this house and starts, you know, trying to talk to Barbara. Barbara's basically... She's, she's gone. Her mind is gone. It's broken. She watched her brother die. 
she's just a broken individual at this point. So Ben has to board up this house by himself. I found the relationship between Ben and Barbara very interesting. He obviously was frustrated with her at points because she was so out of it. But at the same time, he seemed understanding given the situation. And there was one point where they're kind of exchanging stories about how they got to where they are in this house. And at one point, Barbara kind of freaks out. She's like, we have to go get Johnny. We have to go save him. And he's like, your brother's fucking dead. Like, get over it. And she smacks him. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to hit her. He's going to hit her. And sure enough, it's the 60s, kids. So, we, you know, hitting a woman is not that uh, out of pocket, I guess, in the 50s and 60s. But he smacks her. And she's so shocked that she passes out. So you think after that, he's going to be, like, over her bullshit. But, like, no, he still kind of coddles her. And later on in the movie, he, like, looks out for her. The fucking antagonist asshole is like, I'm taking this girl with me. She shouldn't be around you. And he's like, you leave her the fuck alone. (laughs) Like, it's just very, I found their dynamic very interesting. Well, I definitely think Ben understands when you watch a, a family member or someone you love basically get killed in front of you. You know, it, it, it affects you. Some people in the high-stress situations, they fall the fuck apart, and that just kind of adds to all of that with Barbara. But yeah, so Ben's trying to put this house boarded up to try and protect them. Kills a couple of zombies. We love that for him. Lights one on fire, throws it out onto the... Fire! Take he, he's like the Rick Grimes of the situation. He, like, knows what the fuck is going on. No, he doesn't really. Ha- he's just kind of just bashing them in the head <laughs> but he knows they're scared of fire yeah he does know he does find out they're scared of fire so fire. but while he's doing that people come out of the basement oh yeah you know what fuck them because okay they're in this house right and there's shit going on they're screaming barbara's screaming he's screaming ben there's zombies a fluttering about fire a raging you think that that would make quite a bit of a noise you see it does so anyone else in this house would be like what is this what is going on in this house of mine um no <laughs> so these two guys come up from the fucking basement and they're like what's going on here Ba-da-da-da. and ben is just looking at these guys like um where the fuck were you 20 minutes ago <laughs> when i was fighting off the zombies and the guys are like, oh, well, how are we supposed to know what's going on up here? We thought the zombies, da, 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 da. And Ben is like, but you heard this bitch screaming, right? This this blonde bitch, Barbara? The blonde bitch, Barbara? You heard that alliteration. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you heard her screaming, right? You know what a girl screaming sounds like, right? You didn't think to come up and try to help? So these two guys, their names are Tom played by Keith Wayne, and our main antagonisto, the guy we hate ever so, Harry Cooper, played by Carl Hardman. I don't want to blame Tom as much here. No, I like Tom. Tom's cool. I think Tom, he's supposed to be younger. I think he's supposed to be like... He looks like a young, like a, he's supposed to be in his 20s. Uh, like 18 to like 22. Yeah, yeah. He's a young guy, I feel like. And I think... Because he's so young, Harry Cooper dominates. So, like, even if he right, hears the screams right. and he wants to go up, he's Harry's, the alpha. 
Yeah. He's the alpha and Thomas the beta, you see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, yeah, if you want to put it that way, sure. But the thing is, they don't understand that fucking Ben is a Sigma motherfucker and he is going to run this bitch into the ground. No, <laughs> Harry Cooper's like, we should all go down in the basement and hunker down. And Ben's like, no, bitch, this is my area. This is my turf. I'm staying the fuck up here because if the zombies get in, we can at least fight them off. If we're in the basement, we're fucked. We're, we're, we're... Fish in a barrel? Fish in a barrel. Thank you. We're fish in a barrel. Also, while this is going on, Ben does find the gun. So he has a gun. This is my boomstick. Yeah, does he, he just finds it, right? Yeah, he finds it in the... That's the weird thing in this movie. I mean, I don't want to criticize the great George Romero, but like multiple times in this movie our characters just find things randomly like at one point that he ben finds the gun and then like maybe 20 30 minutes later you just hear somebody say like oh look i found a tv we can watch the newscast and it's like okay like i get it you're in somebody else's house so you don't know what's in it but like it's a tv it's a fucking huge it's not like today where like they're skinny and flat as fuck and they could be like hiding in a crevice somewhere it's a fucking huge tv with like bunny ears and shit but i do want to mention like when it's just ben and barbara still and ben is like explaining how he got to this house and like all the shit he's been through up till now and i mean it goes against like everything you think of as a a a movie connoisseur you're like show don't tell but at the same time you know they had a fucking hundred thousand dollar budget but if they could show everything he went through they would however you would think that ben just talking about it would be boring but i think between the dialogue itself and dwayne jones's acting it all kind of works yeah he i think he emotes in the way that tells you so much about him yeah that you, you're automatically hooked into what he's saying. Yeah, and you can also kind of tell that he's a theater actor, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, yes, he is 100% a theater actor. I wanted to mention that because I wanted to bring up the writing in this movie in general, and mainly the writers. <laughs> so there is a lot of behind-the-scenes fuckery involved in this movie, as we mentioned earlier. This movie was written not just by George Romero. There was a co-writer by the name of John Russo. And um, they had a little bit of a prickly relationship. A little? Apparently, there was a bit of a controversy between Romero and Russo on how to handle future sequels to Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Ten years after Night of the Living Dead, Romero came out with a movie called Dawn of the Dead in 1978, which was like a huge success. But then after that, in 1985, a movie called Day of the Dead was released. And Russo, being little pissy pissant that he was, decided he was going to release his own movie called Return of the Living Dead. Yes, he did. And there are two major differences between their tellings of the zombie stories. Romero zombies are not intelligent. They are just hungry monsters. But Return of the Living Dead zombies are super intelligent. And that's where you get zombies are hungry for brains. Ah, okay. Interesting. They're the first ones that go, brains. 
Mm -hmm. Got it, got it. Because I I just read that there was like a huge legal battle over everything. And they both have their own series that came out of this. John Russo had a five film Return of the Dead series. But of course it was never as popular as Romero's. No, the first one is the best of that one. But yeah, Romero won in popularity. Yes, you are right. But yeah, these two, their relationship soured very quickly. So we've met some more of our other characters. Uh, after we meet Tom and Harry Cooper, we then get introduced to Harry Cooper's wife, Helen, played by Marilyn Eastman, and Tom's girlfriend, Judy, who's played by Judith Ridley. What I wanted to mention about Carl Hardman, who plays Harry Cooper, and Marilyn Eastman, was that they are two of the people that, while also acting in the movie, they also did a lot of other stuff behind the scenes. They both worked for the same production company. Hardman was a co-producer. Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman were romantically involved, and they both did several different things for the movie. They worked on the special effects. They were both apparently uncredited makeup artists for the movie, which, by the way, Tom Savini was supposed to be makeup artist originally. Yeah. But he was serving in Vietnam at the time, so that didn't work out. Well, Tom Savini became one of the greatest makeup artists of all time. But he eventually did direct the remake of Night of the Living Dead when George A. Romero tried to backdoor his way into getting the rights back to the movie. Which apparently Ben was played by Tony Todd in that movie, which is pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. And Barbara's a lot better of a character in that movie. But the movie's not as well received as the original because it never is. I am kind of interested in seeing that now that I've seen this, though. But we've got all our players now in this little house trying to hold off the zombies. We do find out, though, there is a kid in the basement who is sick? Oh my god! As soon as they fucking said that, I'm like, because it's supposed to be the Cooper's kid, and I was like, as soon as they said we got a sick kid down there, I was like, fuck, that's a zombie. That's the zombie that's gonna kill us all. Great, awesome, wonderful. But also, what I found hilarious is that because pretty Im- immediately we established that Harry Cooper is a fucking idiot and a coward, and when we meet the wife. We just assume that she's going to be like the doting wife that's on his side. And we, oh, honey, don't you worry. Your alpha maleness is so sexy to me and no one else. (laughs) But no, even the wife (laughs) thinks that her husband's a fucking stupid coward. Okay, she she has some great (laughs) lines. hilarious. Yeah, I liked her. She has like lines like, because he's like, and I'll be proven right. And she goes, because that's important right now. Yeah, that's literally what she said. I was like, oh my God, that's fucking great. There's only two points in this movie that do kind of grind the whole movie to a halt. Yeah. So, like I said before, when they find the TV and they're like, oh, we can watch the news reports now about this situation and we can figure out how to get rescued. And then I was just like, it goes on for a long, long time. Yes, the radio and the TV. Because it's just all our characters around the radio and television and they're just telling us all these. And I understand why you have to do this and tell us all this news. Because, again, it's 1968. Zombies are a brand new thing. We have to explain all of this. Right. I get that. Like, exposition is a thing and it must be done. However, it just goes on and on and on and on. Like, we established, okay, the dead people are coming back to life and they're alive now and they're attacking people and eating their flesh. Done. 
Keep an eye out for a future report on the army coming to save you. Okay, thanks. Have a good night. Like, that's all that needs to be said. But then it felt like we were going into, like, the fucking, like, weather report and the fucking, like, <laughs> like every fucking news person is fucking saying something. And it's just going from studio set to studio set on this fucking TV. And it's like, okay, we get it. Can we go back to the fucking house? Like, I want to know what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot. They like they drop a point where they like it might be aliens, and you're like, oh god. Oh, like, why are we doing this? Let's stop. <laughs> Let's cease and desist. So George A. Romero does play a reporter here, so he is in the movie. George, I understand you wanted your your in. I mean, when Kevin Smith made Clerks, he said, if I'm gonna only make this one movie, then I want to be in it, and that's how he became Silent Bob. So I understand, but sir. Just keep it short and sweet because we want to get back to the good shit. And that is Ben reaming fucking Harry Cooper out on his whoa, ass. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? Whoa. What? This is 1968. We don't talk about reaming men's asses in here. It's 1960. Listen. <laughs> and then, like, they mentioned, like, oh they can get killed if you shoot them in the head but like instead of telling us that on a news report just have one of the fucking people in this house one of these characters that we actually see and care about at this point why don't you just have them shoot well and then the zombie dies when they shoot him in the head well they do that's then why do you have to say it on the news report i don't know because exactly well come on now george First time filmmaker. <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm totally joking. I'm not judging yeah. George Romero. I'm just saying. The pacing was doing really well until we got there and I got a little bored, not going to lie. At one point, Ben does get grabbed from one of the windows and he shoots the zombie twice in the stomach. The zombie doesn't fall. He kind of just backs up and then comes back. And then finally, Ben shoots it in the head and it dies. So he, he kind of did find that information out without having to find that information out. Right. So they're in the house, right? They're fucking zombies all over the place, littered in the front yard and the backyard and the outhouse and the hen house and all that shit. Whatever that fucking movie is. What's that movie? Uh, U.S. Marshals? No. Oh, The Fugitive. Is that what it is? Okay, that. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. So Ben, because he's Ben, he has a fucking plan and he's going to get everybody out of here in a car and drive them the fuck away to safety, right? Yes. What's the plan, dear? So, so the plan is, so Ben drove up in the truck. And the only reason Ben initially stopped here was because he r- was running out of gas and he knew he couldn't get away. And there's a gas tank outside, but it's locked. So they find out something on the TV that they have built rescue centers and there's one about 17 miles away from where they currently are and they find the key to the gas pump so ben's plan is for him and tom to fill the truck up with gas drive the truck up to the house everyone load into the truck and them to drive away right before they leave we have tom and judy have a little lovey-dovey moment Where she's like, I don't want you to go. I'm so afraid for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, so Tom's going to die or Judy. I don't know, but someone's going to die very soon. Great. Wonderful. Good setup. 
I hate Judy now. Just so we're clear. Scott's going to explain what happens. And I'm going to explain after that why Judy is the dumbest fucking character in this movie. I don't like Barbara. I established this. But at least she's smart enough to just be useless and sit on the couch and do nothing. Judy is stupid. So Ben and Tom run out of the house. And Judy decides she's also going to not follow the plan and run out of the house to join Tom and Ben. Now, that's stupid enough because you just you, you, you just went against the plan for no reason because, you know, you love your man. And I can understand that. If Scott, for example, were riding out doing a dangerous mission to try to save us from zombies, I'd be like, I want to go with you. I want to be with you because if we die, bitch, we're going to die together. Okay, I get you. But the thing is, you have to say that before. You can't just go willy-nilly running out of the house. But that's not even why she's stupid. Okay, Scott, set up, and then I will explain why this bitch is dumb as fuck and deserves to die. <laughs> so they get the truck to the gas pump, and they can't get the key into the pump. So Ben just shoots the gas pump open, so the gas just starts shooting everywhere. Judy's in the front seat of the truck, they accidentally light some of the gasoline on fire. The truck is on fire. Tom tries to drive it away. Let me take over from here because this is why Judy is dumb as fuck and deserves to die. So at some point, Tom's like, okay, this car is still aflame. It's dangerous. We must jump the fuck out. So Tom gets out of the car and says, Judy, come on, let's go. We must run now. And Judy, <laughs> this dumb bitch, is like, ah, I can't. My jacket's caught. Bitch, take the jacket off. Take it all off, why don't you? If it weren't, I literally said this to Scott when we watched this movie. I said to him, I said, if it was a choice for me between showing my titties or getting blown up in a fucking fiery inferno, I'll show off my titties. That's okay. But like, no, this bitch is so dumb. She's like, ah, my jacket's caught. Tom, help me. So he gets back in the car, try to help her get out. And then boom, the car explodes. And I'm like, you know, Tom less deserves that. But you really deserve that, Judy. You just you just earned that. You earned that fiery inferno. They're both dead, leaving Ben surrounded by zombies. Harry was supposed to be waiting by the door to let them back in. Ben comes running, you know, swinging a piece of wood that he has on fire to try and get this out. Back, back, you beast. (laughs) Pretty much. And he goes to the door and he's like, Harry, let me in. Harry has already run towards the cellar and to leave Ben to die. Harry. Harry. (laughs) Harry Cooper. No, no, no. (laughs) You piece of shit. (laughs) Ben gets in and the look he gives Harry. Yeah, and then literally fucking Ben's boarding the door back up and then right at the last second when it's already fucking almost boarded up, fucking Harry runs over like he's actually doing something and holds the door closed. I'm like, bitch, are you for real? Are you for real, says Rudy Raymore? Are you for real? What the fuck is this guy doing? (laughs) Well, Ben lets him have it. Oh, I was so happy. I was like, oh, please punch him in the fucking face. Oh, Ben does more. Ben just beats this man. And then what did he say to him? He said something really good, like a real good burn. Oh, he's like, I should throw you out there and feed you to them. And I was like, yeah. ooh, you really should. Please do. 
So they, they're trying to figure out what to do next. Ben says to the Coopers, what about your guys' car? Where is it? And they're like, oh, it's a mile away. We're not going to be able to make it with our, our daughter. She's really, really sick. And I thought it was very interesting. I thought, I don't know about you. I thought you could kind of see it on his face that he knew like something was probably really going to go bad with this kid. Initially, I don't think he thought that until because he goes, I'll carry her. Ben literally says, I'll carry her. What's wrong with her? And they go, oh, she was bit. That's 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 what I mean. Like, after they said that. Oh, that, yeah, he, he knew. He gave, like, a look, and he's like, hmm. Well, no, because he says after that, he goes, we don't know what these things fucking have. Right. Yeah, he says, who knows what diseases these things have. First of all, these parents are a fucking piece of work. Like, you... you- <laughs> You let the fucking zombies bite. Like, for, they're in a car, right? Vroom, vroom, as I mentioned before with Barbara. The car goes vroom, vroom. Yes. So, <laughs> so how exactly... These fucking zombies are slow as shit, okay? So, how are you... Are you stopped at a stoplight? Like, what are you doing that this zombie could get into your car well, and hum, well, bite they, on your kid? Well, they said the zombies surrounded their car and flipped it. Just fucking drive, run him over. What's the? I don't understand. I just, I'm perhaps I'm being too judgy, but I don't understand. Well, I guess Rick Grimes, let me tell you, <laughs> would never, would never. We don't know the full story. We just know the car was flipped, so we don't. Hmm. And hmm. The, the kid was bitten. Hmm. That's what I say to that. Hmm. I'm just stating. I don't. We don't really. I'm just stating that Harry Cooper is a piece of shit. That's what I'm stating. Yeah, I get that, and he is. But anywho. But anywho, finally the zombies have had enough. Oh, you know what's really great though? They surround the house. They get a little taste for that long pig, you see, because they get in the car that just blew the fuck up, and they start eating a little barbecue. Courtesy of Tom and Judy. And I found some very interesting information when I did my research. When the zombies are eating the bodies in the burnt out truck, they're actually eating roast ham covered in chocolate sauce. Because all the blood in the film was chocolate sauce. Ew. I believe it was also chocolate sauce, the blood in uh, Psycho. Yeah, I think so. If I'm not mistaken. But roast ham. Roast ham covered in chocolate sauce, which sounds to me like delightful. I don't know. I'm down. Scott's looking at me very quizzically, and that's fine. I don't care. I Listen, salty and sweet go together very nicely a lot of the time. And ham is already sweet sometimes, depending on how you glaze that motherfucker. So if you just add some chocolate to some ham glaze and you can make a real delicious treat, potentially, I'm just saying, there's got to be a recipe for that somewhere. I'm ready. Rachel Ray, hook me up. Right before we get to the climax of climaxes of our movie here, I did want to mention there's this other news report section, which, again, kind of grinds the movie to a halt for a minute. But I found it pretty hilarious because one of the news reporters is talking to, like, the fucking, I don't know, head of the police or some shit. And he's like, so how how is everybody taking this disaster situation? What's going on? And the guy goes, well, the men are taking it pretty good. like hysterical laughing i'm like oh and i just finished the sentence for him i'm like but these women you know with their hysterics i mean the amount of females i've had to slap in the past 
24 hours. I tell you, my hands are just raw. <laughs> I was dying laughing. Not a real quote, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. What? I added that last part, but I'm saying. <laughs> what, what about the ladies? Are the ladies not taking it very well? I mean, I get Barbara's in a catatonic state. And fucking Judy is flambéed. I get you. But like fucking Helen Cooper, Marilyn Eastman taking it like a champ, just down to do whatever the fuck. That bitch has seen some shit. All right. That bitch is ready to go. She says at one point to Harry Cooper, she's like, we may not enjoy living together, but dying together isn't going to solve anything. Bitch, you know just what the fuck to say. Why are you married to this slime ball? I don't understand. What happened to you, sweetie? Yeah, it, it's definitely not a good relationship and like that's what i mean like obviously i mean spoiler alert not that it's much of a spoiler at this point with a movie from fucking 1968 she fucking dies at the end everybody fucking dies at the end it's really upsetting but we're gonna get there you can make a fucking female character that is ultimately killed or defeated at the end and falls victim to you know being a 60s woman but you can also make her fucking strong in her own right. Like, she's she's got sass. She's got mental fortitude, this lady. She does. The other two, just go sit somewhere. Knit. Crochet. <laughs> bake me a pie. Make me a sandwich. I don't care what you do. Just get away from me. <laughs> My jacket's gone. <laughs> what the fucking die? I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Ugh. So angry. Anyway, let's move on from my anger. <laughs> we all know how I hate weak female characters just for the sake of weakness. We know I hate that. But we can continue. <laughs> so the zombies have had enough. And they're starting to try and break through the window. Ben puts the gun down to try and put another board on the window. And this leads Harry to trying to grab the gun to take control of the situation because he's mentioned before that he needs the gun so people will listen to him. Oh, yeah. He's like, we got to get it away from this lunatic. And it's like, bro, Ben's the only person that's been trying to do anything this whole time. Like, fuck off. Well, he he like, he like says he got those two people killed. Yeah, he got those two people. You're right. You're right. It wasn't Judith in her snaggy sweater. It was Ben that got her killed. They got them killed. I can't. I cannot. So Ben basically doesn't take Harry seriously, grabs the gun while he's holding it, punches him in the face again. And, and I I swear to God, I was like, oh, my God, is he going to shoot him? Is he? Oh, please, please. And sure enough, fucking did. I was so happy. <laughs> I've never been happier to see a fucking guy get shot. Shoots him right in the gut. Oh, it was great. Which is... A painful way to go. Fantastic. I didn't know if he was actually going to do it. Because it's like, technically, you didn't have to do that. But, like, he's the liability at this point. So, like, you know. He's been the problem the whole fucking movie. In the eyes of the law. <laughs> ben would go to jail for murder. But in the eyes of zombie street law. Zombie street law. <laughs> How, someone make that a movie. There has to be a movie <laughs> called Zombie Street Law. That would be sick. But in the eyes of zombie street law, like, you're cool. So Helen gets grabbed through the door. Uh, Harry goes stumbling downstairs to his daughter. And then, you know, promptly dies because fuck him. Yes. 
Barbara wakes up from her catatonic state. This is what I meant when she had like a little bit of redemption at the very, 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 very end. Because when Helen is getting fucked with through the door by these zombies, she like snaps out of it for a hot second, Barbara, and runs to the door and like holds the fucking boards closed and tells Helen to run. And I was like, oh, okay, she has she has a moment. Yay, that's good. But then immediately her fucking zombified brother shows up. And that's the end for Barbara. <laughs> he came to get Barbara. Helen goes down to the basement where she finds her daughter feasting on her husband's body. Her daughter then proceeds to grab a shovel and stab the shit out of Helen. Yeah, that was probably, honestly, despite the fact that I just got through talking about how the zombies were eating fucking roast ham with chocolate sauce to mimic people's guts and shit that was far more brutal i feel like than even that yeah it's very funny because romero's zombies can use tools that's a thing that goes away after a while like, yeah because it was weird because i read in the research too that like it got a lot of criticism in the movie for its gore and like i'm sure for the 60s it was a lot of gore but like nowadays it's so fucking tame it really hit me with the kid and the mom because it's the kid and the mom and the kid is stabbing her own mother with a fucking shovel and it's like holy fuck and they like they show it they show blood coming out of her fucking mouth and they show like it hitting her I was like oh fuck I wonder if this did inspire Halloween later on with uh, Michael stabbing his sister maybe kinda sorta just because of the, the angles and stuff yeah that's true so this leaves Ben Ben is all alone upstairs the house is getting overrun so he retreats down to the basement which is what he said would be the thing in the beginning he's like we can't just sit in the basement because if the zombies come then we're sitting ducks so he was right yeah so he this is his like last ditch effort he locks the doors harry wakes up and he shoots harry three times he shoots helen before helen even gets a chance to reanimate now did helen get eaten no, Helen just got stabbed. Right. So, but I'm saying even after she got stabbed, the kid didn't eat her. Or no, anything, right? No, it wasn't. Didn't have enough he, time. Because Ben killed the kid too. Yes, Ben killed the kid too. Okay. So here's my thing. It reminds. <laughs> again, I know I've made a couple references to it so far, but it reminded me of The Walking Dead when <laughs> the whole like big reveal about we're all infected. That's what it reminded me of. Ah, uh, yes. Because even if you die like normally. Or like from quote unquote natural causes because, you know, getting stabbed with a shovel is a really natural cause of death. You still turn into a zombie. Yeah. Ben now is down here with these dead bodies and he's just kind of waiting out the day. So the next day comes. The zombies have cleared out of the house because there's no they can't get to Ben. And they they're hungry, so they're going to go find food elsewhere. But the army is coming in. And the army's cleaning up the zombie infestation. Shooting them all in the head. Ben hears the commotion. So he comes out slowly to kind of see what's going on. Walks over towards the window. And the person who is a good distance away sees something walking in the house. And shoots Ben in the head. I knew enough about this movie to know that it ends with Ben getting shot in the head by the police. And I was like... Even though I knew it was coming, I was still, like, so anxious, which I think is just a testament to how well the movie is executed. However, what I really fucking found interesting was that 
despite the fact that throughout most of the movie the score even though it's just stock music it's it's so it's such a vital part to the storytelling in this movie however when we get to the point where ben is coming out and he ultimately gets shot it all happens so quick a and b there's no music at all really nope and i'm like oh fuck like it just happens so quick there's no build up to it nope he literally just tiptoes out of the room looks out the window and then bam it's done and i'm like holy fuck what did you what what the fuck yeah because he by far was the most fucking wonderful character in this fucking movie he was a fucking hero and like no one's even gonna know what he did nope Ben is dead. Ben's body gets taken to the fire with the rest of the zombies. And fire! <laughs> yes, and he gets tossed on the pile next to our other main zombie to be burnt with the rest of the corpses. Ugh. I, I love that ending because even though I knew it was coming, it still surprised me because I, I wasn't expecting to love Ben as a character as much as I did. And I wasn't expecting for the execution to be as like stark and quick as it was and like holy shit so i was really bummed out <laughs> yeah it's it's a sad ending and it you know what but it's realistic george a romero actually did want to change this ending to what to ben surviving but Dwayne jones was like no Ooh, okay he fought to have this ending stay like this he said this is the more realistic right how this should end okay i love that i mean i was just gonna say who wants to die in a movie but also just as a personal story scotty and i are part of a, a theater troupe called paradoja studios and we put on shows in our community all the time at least we did you know pre-covid <laughs> and in one of the sh- in one of the sketches that we did for our, one of our shows I played a character that was brutally murdered by a serial killer and it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had getting brutally murdered on stage. I also think if you're in a horror movie, it's more fun to be killed off in a horror movie. I guess, yeah, because it's like, especially if it's like a cool kill. I mean, this is a pretty standard kill in its execution, like the guy gets shot in the head, but also what it means for the story and the character, like that's pretty fucking cool. Like when you go to movies like Terrifier, where the woman gets cut in half down the middle, which is so gross and so disgusting, but you're like, dude, that's really fucking cool. And like, (laughs) I can't wait for my children to see this. No, no, (laughs) no. I will not be showing our children Terrifier. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was just saying, as I was speaking as that person that got sliced in two. Yeah, but even still, it's cool. Uh, but yeah, that's Night of the Living Dead. This movie is legendary. It, it has inspired so much, and it's sad that George A. Romero didn't get the love and the admiration of money that came with this movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, but he had a pretty storied career after that. Well, yeah, he's the godfather of horror. But yeah, so I think he did all right at the end. Yeah, but this movie made a lot of fucking money. Yeah, but everybody knows that it's it's not all about the money. We don't need your money. We just want to make the world dance. Forget about the price tag. So, Frankie, what were your final thoughts on Night of the Living Dead? Um, I was pleasantly surprised at how much I liked this. I 
do think that it suffers from something that a lot of older movies kind of suffer from at times. It has weird pacing. And the thing is, slower pacing isn't always a bad thing. But when the pacing is both slow at times and quicker at times, and it's kind of all over the place in parts, that's kind of where it gets wonky. That was probably the biggest issue I had with the movie. Uh, and just the fact that some of the characters were like ridiculously stupid, but that's horror movies in general. Ben, I think, is an incredible character. I think the history behind the movie is fascinating. I wouldn't say that I was scared by today's standards as a horror movie. I would say that it's pretty tame in the scare department, but it's still very good which is a great thing because it makes it more timeless, really. Like, if you're just a movie that relies on jump scares to get, uh, then, like, no one's going to give a shit about you in, like, five minutes. But this is a classic for a reason, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's a reason that this movie has lasted the test of time. If you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, you can pretty much find it anywhere. It's on YouTube. Go watch it. So, Frankie, what would you rate Night of the Living Dead? I rated it three and a half out of five stars. Pretty good, pretty good. I got it as a five out of five because of its legendary status. Yeah, I was stuck between a three and a half and a four. I ultimately went with three and a half. But I, upon another watch, I, I might be willing to bump it up to four. I'm like, right, I'm on the fence for sure. So, what do we got on top for next week, Frankie? Well, Scott, I will be showing you a more of a cult classic horror film we've got some wackiness we've got some weird imagery some gore some humor we've got everything and anything and it's gonna be very interesting and very spoopy but until then until next week this has been shoot the flick an official paradoja podcast i'm frankie sparks i'm scott eisenberg Make sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at ShootTheFlick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you would find a podcast. And make sure to vote for us for Best Podcast on Best of Long Island 2022. It's happened again. We are nominated. You can vote once a day until December 15th, so please do so. Find the link in our bios, both on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Please, please help us. We want this award, which I don't know if we get anything for, but we just want to say that we fucking won. I think we get a plaque. I I would love a plaque. I love plaques. That's my motto, you see. That, that's, that is her motto. She does say it a lot, actually. I really do. So we will see you next week for our terrifying, horrifying movie adventure. We're coming to get you, audience. Boo. Boo.